got a few screws loose since the days of my youth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose and I'm telling you the truth. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. You don't really want proof. It's a few screws loose podcast. I got a few screws loose. Why do's what I do? It's a few screws loose podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to welcome you back to another episode of A Few Screws Loose, the podcast where we have mental health discussions by mentally ill men of color. My name is Dan and you can keep up with me on Twitter and on IG at I am Dan on drugs. Keep up with the show on Twitter, IG and sometimes YouTube at Screws Loose Pod. Ladies and gentlemen. We have a huge surprise for you all. Guess who's Bizak? Drum roll, please. P from Charlotte is back. I haven't been around in a long time, but I'm still alive. Me and Dan didn't kill each other like some of y'all thought. You know, we just had a little off season like everybody else does. Are we not entitled to that? So I'm P from Charlotte. In case you forgot me, you can catch me on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm sorry. Let me start that over. (laughs) 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 Nigga forgot where he at. Damn. (laughs) He just hit Facebook. (laughs) You can catch me on Instagram and on, what is it called? Twitter. Okay. That goes to show you how much I've been on Twitter. One more time. The Twitter machine. You can find me on Instagram and on the Twitter machine at P from Charlotte. All one word, P from Charlotte. So as uh, most of you know, we have... um, Every everyone's still kind of struggling with the whole coronavirus, which is, you know, like I said, last episode, it's something that we're not going to touch on anymore because it's like beating a dead horse. Everybody's talking about it. Our experiences probably don't differ very much uh, than any of your experiences or anybody else's for that matter, because we're all going through this shit together. So hopefully we make it out on the other side relatively unscathed. But today. I think what uh, the conversation we're going to have is growing up in the area that we grew up in. Uh, P, he had a solo episode a few months back talking about how he grew up and some of some of the things he remembered from his childhood. I did the same in a prior episode as well. So go back and check those episodes out. Uh, I forget the name of them, but they're back there that way somewhere. So. One of the things we never really touched on, though, is guidance. Who guided us? Who helped us uh, become the men we are today? Because let's face it, we did not just, you know, guide ourselves or whatever. Everyone has guidance, uh, whether it be niggas in the streets, whether it be family members, whoever, just somebody you look up to, someone to kind of help you navigate certain things in life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, uh, P, just off the top of your head, do you have somebody in mind that played just like a a pivotal role in you becoming a man or the man you are? I've got a collection of people, um, but it was all different. Yeah, they're actually in my basement now in pieces. (laughs) 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 No, I had a collection of people throughout different phases of my life. You know, um, I can't say someone continuous outside of, you know, my father and my mom obviously. 
but different people at different stages that came in and helped me when I needed them um, for where I was at. So, you know, we're going to all of that in this show and um, show some love to these people, man. We don't always get to talk about those who have been instrumental in helping us become who we are. And I think there's a, a shortage of that in the world these days. So, um, you know, also, like Dan said, we're not going to touch on all that negative stuff going on today because, frankly, it drives everyone crazy and it drives us crazy. So um, looking forward to getting into this, man, and showing some love to the people who deserve it. Yeah, man. Um, So some of some of the people, I guess, that like, I guess the same same thing as you. I, I had different people in different parts of my life. Now, you know, let's just start kind of from a young age. You know, the type of niggas I was running with in the streets What's funny is me and P we've been like brothers since way back since like shit. I don't know, since Daz effects, but um, like we never ran in the same circles. We we all knew the same people, but P he had his own circle and I had my own circle. And what's funny is my circle was a bunch of knuckleheads that kept getting locked up, kept getting arrested, kept getting in trouble uh thieves uh drug dealers you name it that's the people i ran with early on and i remember even you know my mother she wasn't a huge influence on my life at least at that age but i remember her saying yo you need to stop hanging around them they're gonna get you in trouble they're nothing but trouble you know you're going down the wrong path and as a kid you're like whatever you don't know nothing and my mother she's 17 years older than me so when i was like 13 she was like 30 and now looking at it that's not that old but i'm like hey you you old you don't know shit you don't know shit oh, you, you don't know old. how it is in these streets yeah exactly man so that's uh you you remember some of the dudes i ran with uh a lot of them are dead or still in jail man so like my earliest memories in in the neighborhood i grew up in at least is running with the criminals drug dealers and what have you so what did your friends your circle of friends at you know a young age look like well the difference between us is we grew up in different neighborhoods so i moved around the whole city quite a bit and um my brother's eight years older than me my uncles uh range between 20 30 years older than me and only maybe 15 years older than me so we grew up well i well let me let me start over when i was born we lived in uptown in, that, in you know and that, that was the neighborhood and so that's a totally different area of the city than where Dan lived at, which was, you know, a little ways down the road. And it wasn't like now when you have the internet and all that stuff. But, you know, when you're, when you're grown up, you end up associating with people from other neighborhoods. But when you're young, like we were, you kind of stick with your friends. So we end up moving from uptown to the south side. And I went to um, the school on the south side, you know, Maury, which was where all the south side and project kids went to, besides the project kids that got bussed to the other side of town. And, um, after my granddad died, who, by the way, was, and I still say is the most instrumental person in my life, he passed when I was seven, we moved to the west side, where a lot of those kids that I was mentioning that I used to live near uptown got bus to um, the school there. So I ended up going to school with a lot of the kids who I knew as a two, three, four, five, six, seven-year-old. So I moved over to the west side, and it's funny because my friends from the west side were still kids from the projects in the south side that I knew back in the day. So we kind of had a different crew that we ran with. You know, I'm not saying that the, the types of kids were very different. Um, <laughs> you know, we all ran around and did knuckleheaded stuff because I was a knucklehead early on for no reason at all. Then I was just a knucklehead. Um, but we and Dan really got 
linked up when I moved from in middle school. I moved from the West Side School down to GW and I met Dan there and I was already doing stupid shit back then. Um, and then we really, really clicked the next year in eighth grade. And um, that's when our groups of friends kind of started to mesh. Well, I'll say I started to mesh more with his group of friends because I was kind of transient. Most of my friends already were in jail in eighth grade. Um, so I had nobody nobody to hang with. It was just me and Dan. And I started to kind of take to his friends too. So his friends became my friends. And and that was kind of how it was early on. Yeah, man. And what's, what's funny too is my neighborhood... And, you know, looking back now, yeah, that, that's all I can say. But my neighborhood was one of those neighborhoods where all the people in the hood was like, man, if you ain't from around here, shit, you can't even come through here. We're going to fuck you up if you come through here. And it's funny because yeah, it like that P, uptown, too. Yeah. And it, it's funny because P came through the neighborhood and everybody just dabbed him up. Hey, what's up, man? What's up, man? And shit, I used to hang out uh, uptown when... uh. When my boy lived in the um in the projects right off of uh Route One, so it's like that that's just only applicable to certain people. I think if you're like one of them people that run around repping your Shit neighborhood talking. and yeah stuff like that, but I mean Being all loud. We also shit. We worked in Southeast DC, and we used to walk through all the all the neighborhoods you could think of. This is like late nineties, and we just walk, walking as hell through Southeast. Then. Yeah, yeah, it was still violent we, back then. It was it was still it was still over shit, three four hundred murders today. a year back then. <laughs> Man, it still yeah. is today, shit. But it, it's funny because we had no fear because we were able to fit in anywhere because we knew the rules and the rules in any neighborhood is don't fuck with nobody and they ain't gonna fuck with you for the most part. So um, I remember hanging out with like I said the the criminals and and what have you. I started getting in trouble with the law, which is uh, previous episodes talked about that as well. So I ended up having first to have a mentor, right? Like a, a big brother or whatever you call it. <laughs> he used to get that dude. And, hell, man. Hell yeah. Because I wanted him to stop fucking coming around. <laughs> like he was supposed to come pick me up at a certain time, like say 3 p.m. He'd be banging on the door. My mama wasn't home. She was at work. So I make the nigga wait outside and. And this was court mandated, actually. So he would just be sitting on the porch waiting for me. Like, come on, man. You coming? Nope. Didn't you <laughs> jump out of his outside. car once on, on King Street? Yeah, I jumped out because <laughs> <laughs> I needed a pack of cigarettes. So <laughs> Matt was 13 years old. <laughs> Young, this nigga wasn't trying to buy me no cigarettes, right? So I jumped out. <laughs> you <laughs> remember that little. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Yo, you was mad because your court appointed mentor wouldn't buy you at 13. Some Newports. Yeah. <laughs> That's unreasonable, man. man. Uh, well, at, at, at the time, I didn't think it was. Man, you you remember that little uh that little drugstore that was right next to Ross on uh King Street? Yeah. It was right across man. from California Pizza Kitchen. Yeah, them old people, they had to be like in their 80s. They sold cigarettes to anybody. They didn't care. They were just like, they didn't ah, give fuck a shit. It. They were selling cigarettes yeah. to people in the 40s when it wasn't no law. Right, man. I'm telling you, and that's why I jumped out. I jumped out dude's car while the joint was rolling, and ran up in that store and bought some cigarettes and walked home, man. But um, I can say that <laughs> the whole mentor shit and the big brother shit didn't work for me. And again, I have an aversion for any type of authority or people telling me what to do. That doesn't that doesn't go over well with me. So then they changed the um, they changed my mentor to one of the teachers at our school, a history teacher. 
And this dude had a Gumby haircut. So he always, he, to me, he just looked like a sexual predator or some Who, shit. that man. You Yeah. Oh, he, that nigga. Man, man, that Bama shouldn't be mentoring nobody. He is a shady little nasty dude, man. Everybody knew he that. He looked like one. He looked like one, man. He looked, if you had to, to like describe a pedophile, that is, that is who I would describe, man. But his daughter was fine as shit. That clown tried to threaten me one time in class like he was embarrassing me. And then I said, do I need to call my uncles up here? And then he shut up real quick because he taught my <laughs> uncles back in the 70s. And I said, oh, you you, 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 you going to do something? I said, I need to call my uncle up here. Do I need to call? You know, I ain't going to say the name. And then he, he he realized, oh, shit, let me shut up. He realized that real quick. If anybody don't know yeah. me, I'm related to the whole city of Alexandria. So man. Um, he knew real quick that wasn't a good move. That dude was a bitch, man. So I ran him off too, and then that's how I ended up having to. Um, they they let me pick my uh, they let me pick my um, my mentor or my big brother. So Should've I picked, picked my me. cousin, one of my <laughs> damn pick you. I picked my favorite cousin, who's probably about ten years older than me, and I looked up to him. <laughs> and hold on, hold on, then, hold on, hold on, hold on, real quick. Let me interrupt you. Uh, you picked him only to give him a hard time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you threw the, the broomstick through his legs. Nah, that that was oh, I, I hit him with the um, oh, that's right, with the big hit- five gallon thing of pennies. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> why you choose? Why you volunteer him to come help you, and you just made it made his life miserable? Cause I thought he wasn't going to come. I thought he was just going to say he came and <laughs> be like, yeah, you know, we went out and did this. Yeah, we went out and played football. We went out to the uh to the Capitals game or some shit. This nigga Capital actually showed game. up. You know that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm so that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, this is my favorite cousin. He gonna look out for me. Man, this nigga showed up. Was like, come on, cuz we about to go somewhere. I'm like, nigga, I ain't going nowhere. Man, just come on, man. Come on, I gotta do this shit because it's it's the courts and you know. And then my mom's gonna be mad at me. So I said, nigga, I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> ain't so he <laughs> he tried to grab me by my arm when I was running upstairs, and I was like, all right, cool, I got you. Now nah, I'm gonna come with you. I'm gonna come with you. And when somebody Says something like that, especially in our in our generation, is I I yeah I got you okay okay yeah I'm I'm gonna do that. I came downstairs with one of them big five gallon Kentwood water bottles full of pennies and went upside that nigga head with the joint. That shit was heavy too. <laughs> the shit broke in half and pennies flew everywhere. So he was just like, man, I shall fuck you up. But you know what? I'm gonna just leave. I was like, yeah, shit, you better leave. And my mom's came home and was like, why is there like $72 worth of pennies on my floor. I was rolling, man. <laughs> but I say all that to say that this cousin actually did um become a uh, very pivotal person in, in my development later on, though. So, uh, yeah, man, that that was m- the first time that someone tried to guide me and it was court ordered, which is why it didn't work, man. So um, on, on your side of things, right. Did you who was the first person that actually stepped in without without your request or without anyone telling them, yo, you need to uh, take P and, you know, show him the ropes, teach him stuff. Who was the first person that actually stepped in and you actually listened to him? Well, the thing is, nobody really made a conscious effort to step in for any particular reason. It was just when was I ready to listen or when was I ready to talk or ask people for anything? So I got a large family. Like I said, I got a uh, what? five uncles from my mother alone. Um, my granddad was pretty, was very instrumental in my early life. Um, you know, my brother's eight years older than me and 
you know, my dad's always been around. He, you know, always told me things. See, the thing about my parents, and I kind of take this approach with my kids now, too, is they're not going to beg you to do what you're supposed to do. Right. So it's either you're not going to do what you're supposed to do and deal with the consequences, whatever that may be, whether it be from them or whether it be from the world or life or school or anything, or you're just going to do what you're supposed to do. And that was how they approached it. So early on, of course, when I was doing stupid stuff in school, being bad in elementary school, not doing my work, of course, I would get in trouble here and there. But as I got older and it was clear that I wasn't listening like I was supposed to, it was one of those things where it was like, well, he gonna learn on his own. And that's essentially what happened. So. I will say it was probably when when I started to actually be more close with my brother because, you know, he was older than me. So, of course, I'm not going to hang with him when I'm seven and he's 15, you know, 16 years old. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I started to, you know, smoke weed and all that. And, you know, I always laugh and say I feel bad because I'm the one that got Dan smoking. And, you know, he kept the habit for a long time and I quit a long time ago. But I was a weed smoking fool. So I knew my brother did, too. and what ended up happening was we kind of started clicking on that and he didn't like step in and say, you need to do this. You need to do that. Um, it was just, we would get high and smoke or chill or talk. And he would just say little things like, you know, one of the things that kept me safe for most of my life. And I still take this to my adult life is he told me back in the day, if you feel in your gut that something is wrong, don't do it. Like if, you know, meaning if you feel like don't, if I do this, I'm gonna get in trouble. If I do this, I might get arrested. Don't do it. And I'm trying to tell you, Dan, that really saved me a lot because I'm look for y'all that don't know. I hung with Dan. We did a lot of stupid shit, a lot of illegal shit. I did a lot of illegal shit on my own, but I I always knew where to draw the line. Right. And that was thanks to my brother. Um, <laughs> You know, whether it be hey man, you want to come with us? We go and rent a pipehead car. <clears throat> nah, y'all are. I, I'm all right. I, I stay. I stay home and <laughs> stuff like that. When I would get propositions to do things go wrong. Yeah, when when I would get pro- proposition to do things like, hey, so and so stole his mom's car, let's let's roll. I'm like, nah, y'all, I'm all right. I take the bus. I would just know I ain't gonna do that. Too much could go wrong. And I'm trying to tell you, like, that has really saved me. I'm the only one of my friends that was doing the same shit but never got arrested. <clears throat> and I just always knew when things didn't feel right. And that was my brother. That was one of the first things that I learned from. Um, I'm not I'm not gonna say one of my elders, but my brother was essentially. Like, like we call back in the day, we said old heads. We didn't mean way older than us. Old heads was people that was maybe two, three, four, five, six, seven years older than us that was still doing stuff, but could give us advice. And that's yeah. what we mean by old heads. And we respected them. And when they told us something, we knew you better listen because they've been through stuff. You know, it wasn't no internet back then. It wasn't no, like Mike Epps said, I, I was a thug till I realized you had to do that shit. You know, back in the day, one, you didn't call yourself a thug. Other people called you a thug behind your back. Two, you didn't do stuff for attention. You know, three, you didn't have a resource to let me go look up this and look up that so I can learn how to how to pretend to be a gangbanger or pretend to be a gangster or pretend to be a drug dealer. You was either really doing it or you wasn't. And if you really <laughs> they had was doing the it, book, you, man, being yeah, a gangster if, for dummies, one oh one. It wasn't no book. <laughs> if you really was doing stuff that we was doing, you had to really do it. And you also had to worry about the cops. Worry about people trying to pull your car out every, you know, because like I always say, when you was in the street, you got to renew that, uh, what, 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 that, that qualification anytime somebody wants to test it. And, yeah, and let me, let me jump in here too, man. Um, the repu- reputation was a big thing growing up, right? We all had reputations, whether it be a reputation for being soft, for being hard, for being a thug, a gangster, whatever. But 
your reputation followed you no matter where you went up up until like, let's say, 18, 19, 20 years old. And there came a time where even if you didn't particularly choose this reputation, people still viewed you as such and would test that that particular reputation you had. So if you went through the streets making a name for yourself and people knew you as like like Pete's talking about, like a gangster or a thug or, or what have you. People would actually test that shit and you might not be prepared to live up to your reputation. So you had to be very careful about the reputation that followed you. Yeah, I think our thing, our way of kind of handling that was we never wanted to get caught slipping. Meaning we didn't necessarily, I'm not, when I say looked for trouble, we weren't out there starting stuff, right? But at the same time, when we knew that there was a potential problem with somebody, we would confront it head on and try to get the jump on it, right? So we was always involved in things. But at the same time, you know, I was known as a guy, even though I like to fight and I, I used to whoop ass, I didn't have to fight that much. And, you know, Dan, I told my wife this before. I said, you know, back in the day, if you think about all the tough kids from your school, all the kids that everybody knew don't fuck with, how many times you seen them fight? You didn't have to, right? So, exactly. you know, that, that was kind of how we got along. We didn't really have to fight that much. But secondarily, I was known as a guy who always had we and always had things to sell. I used to sell anything. I used to sell damn window cranks and door stops in, in GW, right? I don't know how people a, would buy a crackhead. <laughs> yeah, I stole all the yearbooks and sold all the yearbooks. Remember that? I stole the teacher's yearbook. She was crying. I I, I, I snuck it back in and put it back. I stole one for her um, and, and, and put another one back in because I felt bad. I had a conscience, see? But um, your reputation always preceded you, man. And you always either... You know, I'm not saying that you had to live up to it to impress nobody because we didn't see. Here's the thing, man. Our generation didn't really do shit to impress nobody, because the reason why is if you laws were we would get locked up back then. Right. Not like now. Motherfuckers was going to jail. So (laughs) so it's like you you didn't do stuff for attention. You did stuff because you wanted to do it. And if anything, you didn't want people to know what you was doing. See, speaking of speaking of going to jail, too, and reputations. Right. What's funny is. Like when I got locked up and they had the um well, when I was in the group home and they had the the program where you actually left the group home to go to the public school. But then you get bussed right back to the group home, man. Once people found out I was in that group home and I was locked up and shit like, yo, everybody wanted to fuck with me as far as be cool with me. Like, yo, this this nigga must be hard. And it's like I really wasn't that hard. But. Just being that I was going through that situation, being in that group home, which I was with, like I was in that group home with a whole lot of hardcore people. I wasn't one of them. I was just like a regular dude. But since I had the reputation and people knew that that's where I was. Yo, man, you know how much pussy I got because of that? <laughs> I bet. Like, Shoot, my friend, that I, my, my, my homie that I hung with. I'm not going to say in his name, you know, back in the day, everybody thought he was a thug and, a, and, and, and was a, a fighter. But I knew him since elementary school, and he really wasn't that. He'd been to jail a lot, but his crimes was mainly drug stuff. And I think he got in one fight that he got in trouble for. But people assumed he was a thug. And he was like, I ain't no thug. I just got locked up once. And, yeah. I mean, that's how that's it is, how it man. E- exactly, man. So um, while I was running the streets, and this is after I got out, uh, got out of the detention center and the group homes and stuff, one of the first people that... I actually turned to and this was like a, a chance uh, meeting or whatever as far uh, well, a chance hangout. 
everyone knew him. Everyone looked up to him. And it was this dude. And I said his name was O, right? And like yeah. everyone. Real quick, real quick. Let me give you a look real quick. Let me end before you start. Before you started to chill with O, I met them through my brother. When I switched, mm-hmm. transferred to the school that I was talking about that we went to, um, my brother already knew them. See, my brother's only eight years older than me. So I meant to say this yeah. when we were talking so about o, neighborhoods. Hold my, on. Oh. O's like three years older than us, so shit. So he's only like five years younger than your brother. Yeah, see, my brother used to work at the pool, and he also used to be in the neighborhood off of, well, by, by, by where the high school was. So he knew them. And another reason why I was able to go to a lot of these neighborhoods and fit in was because my brother knew a lot of these people. So I met O and his brother when I first got to the, to the, to the school. Because my brother said, hey, look out for my little brother. He getting ready to come to that school. Look out for him. And they they met me. They actually, let me tell you, I don't know if I ever told you the story. I was walking up the steps like my second day of school. At, at that the, when at that GW. nigga grabbed you? Yeah. Like random <laughs> dude just grabbed me and another dude roll up on me. And I'm thinking, damn, man, these motherfuckers about to jump me. I don't even know these bammers. And he was like, hey, you, you pee? I was like, yeah. He's like, what's up, dog? <laughs> what's up? <laughs> Your brother, your brother told us, look out for you. I'm like, oh, man, I thought I was about to get my ass kicked. But yeah, man, <laughs> I almost forgot about that story. That shit was funny. I was like, who the hell is these Bamas, man? I'm about to get jumped already? <laughs> On day one, man. See, I, I knew him <laughs> because I used to hang with some of his uh, younger cousins or whatever who, who were the people I was hanging with. And just one Santa night, Flash. I guess he was... <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess he was bored or something. And... He wanted to go to a bowling alley and hang out with some chicks. And much like us, a lot of the people that he that were in his circle were locked up. So he didn't have anyone to uh, go with. So he just randomly called me. He's like, hey, man, you want to go to the bowling alley? It's some bitches there. So I was like, uh, OK. Back in the day when somebody said that, that was cold word for ain't no bitches there. <laughs> well, there were bitches there, but they was all <laughs> like they was all like three, three, four years older than me. I was like probably what 16 so these motherfuckers was like 20 i was like god <laughs> damn <him>. man <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well when i said bitches i meant for me <laughs> man so <laughs> we get there and we bowling and you know like like i said we we knew people in com we had um mutual mutual friends and uh again his his younger cousins so we just chilling at the bowling alley so then afterwards it's probably like one in the morning and he was like, uh, yo, man, you trying to go to IHOP? We're going to go get something to eat. All right, cool, shit. And like I said, everyone in the city looked up to him. They knew not to fuck with him because his reputation was one that he didn't really have to prove anymore because he had already proved that shit multiple times. So and he was we get an to explosive, the, explosive temper, boy. Yeah, that and <laughs> that motherfucker will fuck you up. And he carried <laughs> he carried a Rambo knife on him, too. <laughs> but um. So we get to the IHOP and him and his girl getting into some kind of altercation about this is before cell phone. So she had a little book, like a, a little notebook with numbers and shit in it. Little black. So book, he little black book. Yeah, basically a little black book. And he saw he just glanced over and saw some niggas phone number in there. And you remember the two dudes, man, because uh, their name were like were like synonymous with each other. But so in Bama, he, yeah, man. He saw their numbers. And uh, so he why got was their names always together. I don't know. And I've never seen them together. That's what I've funny. never seen. I've never even seen the other dude ever. <laughs> I used to call that Bama by both the names when I first met him. Yeah. 
you, you must be Steve and James. Like, what? <laughs> just, that's that's that nigga Steve and James over there. <laughs> so uh, they get into a little altercation and they, they're quietly, we're still waiting to be seated, but they're quietly uh, kind of going back and forth. And some uh, drunk Middle Eastern or Hispanic dude, I think it was a Hispanic dude, he's just like staring because he can obviously tell there was a problem. So my boy O looks at him and was like, the fuck you looking at? Why the fuck you all up in my face? And I was like, God damn. Hey, well, here's his reputation. So the dude said, I'm looking at your ugly face. He shouldn't have said that. His so, family probably just finished watching Menace to Society or some shit. I feel sorry for your mother. Man, so uh, O's girl drags him outside of the restaurant because he, everyone, again, everyone knew what was going to happen. So the dude follows. And tries to get in his face while his girl's holding him back. So I had like a $400 Eddie Bauer jacket on, right? Well, Eddie Bauer coat. You remember them joints? Mm-hmm. Man. You know, shit, you know all I had. I had three of them. Man, I unzipped that bitch. I had the cream color joint too. And I just took the joint off, threw it on the ground. And I'm like, shit, fuck it. It's on. So I jump up in dude's face and I got my two fingers like right on his forehead. Like, nigga, do you know who the fuck you fucking with? Like, yo, we will fuck you up out here. And next thing you know, I felt a swift, like uh, a, just a whoosh come by my head. And then the dude that I have my two fingers on his face, he fell. And I'm like, damn, did I just hit him? I his ass. <laughs> Yo, he came and swung like, oh, ran up behind me, swung from behind me over my shoulder and punched the dude in the face. The dude drops. And. He was like, well, later on, he was like, hey, man, you better be glad you ain't moving your head while I was running up behind you because I would have <laughs> killed you. So at like however old O was, he he's probably, what, 18. He dropped a grown ass, probably 30 year old motherfucker. So next thing you know, I'm like, shit, well, it's on because his boys was out there. So his boys was like whistling. Hey, come around the corner talking to talking to their boy who got up. He was all loopy and shit. So they go around the corner and me and oh, we were running full speed chasing them. We're like, we're going to fuck his boys up, too. And Jeez. next thing you know, we run around the corner and this motherfuckers pulled a damn gun out on us. So I was like, oh, gotta go. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. So oh, turned around. <laughs> he, he did a U-turn, a, a spinning one foot turn. And I'm still running towards <laughs> the dude because I didn't see the gun. I, I like I, I'm still running towards him. And then, oh, I see him coming towards me. And I'm like. Yo, why the fuck this nigga running towards me? So he grabs me as he's running towards me like, they got a gun, nigga. And I look, I see the gun. I'm like, oh, shit. So we run and we jump in the car. And then these niggas like chasing us through the entire city. And we get like, we're trying to lose them. So we couldn't lose them. And I had an idea. I'm like, shit, let's go down to the projects. Because some Mexicans, I think, well, they weren't Mexicans. I, I think they were El Salvadorian. I think that's the... the um, yeah, that's those are the ones you don't fuck with, too. Yeah, yeah, because those are the ones who have guns. That'll shoot you. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, yo, let's go down to the projects. They will not follow us into the projects. So we go down to the projects. We pulled into an alley off of probably Madison Street or somewhere. And, of course, like we thought, they knew where they were, and they kept rolling. So I was like, God damn, my first time hanging out with this nigga, man. I almost got shot. I almost died. Like, damn, man. But I, I tell that story to say that's the kind of character reference. That's the type of person he was. But at the same time, he had his shit together. He had already kind of he had one foot in the streets and one foot into on the banana peel. <laughs> yeah, you ain't lying. 
No, one one foot into becoming to becoming a responsible adult. He's always had a job. Everyone else that I hung with, they didn't have jobs. They weren't even interested in jobs. And I remember O would always tell me, yo, man, you need to get your money up, man. You need to get your money up. You need to uh, you need to get a job, man, because this street shit and selling drugs and all that shit, man, that's temporary money, man. You know, you you need a, a, a consistent paycheck, basically. So he started like telling me that shit. And I'm young. I'm like, whatever. But again, looking up to him, it's like, you know what? Maybe he's on to something. And then he was like one of the first people we knew to get his own his. Well, first people I knew that got his own apartment, got his own car. And, you know, he was doing real well. So I really looked up to him and, you know, believe it or not, his reputation did follow him. But he was also getting his shit together, which helped me get my shit together. yo. So, you know, I appreciate that dude a lot, man. I don't think I ever told him that either. Yeah, he he damn sure was out of our contemporaries within a couple of years of our age. He was the first. Um, but well, even though he was older than us, so obviously he was the first. But in terms of um, just our circle of friends. I will say that I don't want to say his name. Um, you remember we saw him that day in the in the red uh, sweatsuit in my neighborhood. He was like, "Who was that?" And I was like, "Oh, that's that dude, man. I knew him." And, and he he he, he oh, had on that real about, tight. Sm- yeah, yeah, he was about that, to beat his ass. Yeah, but it's funny because he was my friend. Out of our actual friends in our circle, he was the first amongst our age group to get his shit together. I mean, this dude, his shit been together so long, he about retired and got multiple businesses now. And I and I had my shit together very early because I had a kid way too soon, but he was on it like way early on. And um, he kind of helped me realize, too, I need to stop dicking around besides my brother, too, because my brother and then my cousin, which my brother was, you know, real close with him. They helped me get my shit together, too, especially when my daughter was born when I was only 18. And um, I started to realize I need to do something else besides working bullshit jobs, working security at the mall, working at the school boy doing labor and work and i got in a fire department like all my uncles and you know i guess like what i said earlier in the show different people with different phases that's when i entered a different phase of my life with different people that looked out for me and it kind of went away from family even though my uncles were in i didn't see them a lot because it was different shifts it went to people that knew me since i was in pampas because of my uncles and also co-workers and for a majority of my life, my adult life, um, I had a lot of people looking out for me that kept me in line and helped me be successful before I got disabled, obviously. Um, but I was on my way. And, um, you know, a lot of people took me under their wing. And a lot of those lessons I learned from those dudes in the fire department, man, they, I still carry them with me to this day. Man. And that, you know, that's that's something that this generation from from my perspective, at least, because I, I don't really hang out or I'm not really around any of these younger, you know, early 20s, late teens. Oh, I am. You write and everything you say. They <laughs> nigga don't even know what I'm <laughs> what I'm about to say. But, yep, you're right, nigga. man. Nah, they, they, <laughs> these niggas don't even know how to talk, man. These niggas don't even, And if any of y'all niggas is listening to this show right now, sorry, but not sorry. Y'all niggas can't even hold conversations. I'd be looking and I'm like, they just be staring, saying weird Bro. things. Yeah, and these conversations be like, it'd be a bunch of catchphrases, song lyrics, and acronyms. I'm like, what the fuck (laughs) is you talking about, man? Bro, GTFO, bro. Wait, what? What? (laughs) Yeah, man. Niggas wearing fucking face piercings and just niggas be looking extra. Like, why you gotta be all extra for, man? 
See, I, I don't really have a problem with uh with the way they look, although I do find it rather funny. But, you know, I mean, generations go through phases and, and mean, right quick, too. I'm not going to say I care. I don't care how they look. But what I'm saying is the niggas act like they look. And that's the problem. It's like, you, know, you, you, you look simple and you are simple. And yeah, it's like, you look like a if, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to be simple, if you're going to look simple, don't act. I mean, I'm sure we look simple in our day. Right. Yeah. But it's like, if you want to look sure, simple, yeah. don't act simple. Man, I'm telling you, man, I, I just don't see that. And, you know, the the catchphrase I hear a lot now with people is, you know, giving giving people their flowers while while they're here. And, you know, there's oh, oh one more thing too. Oh, just jumping back to oh, man, because I've been thinking about this. Man. I need to actually call him, man, because we had gotten really, really tight after that whole IHOP incident. And he straight up told me he was like. Yo, the reason why, you know, I kind of took you under my wing and started fucking with you real tough is because that night that that shit was going down, shit, before I could do anything, you was up in dude's face. And I knew right then, yo, I fuck with this little nigga right here because I know he got my back if some shit goes down. And, and shit went things, down multiple times. Yeah. Always had his back, too, man. Even <laughs> even when <laughs> when we were outnumbered, man. But, you know, like I was in Philly when, at the time. I was pissed. We oh, was yeah, planning that on that damn, ex- yeah, we was planning on that excursion for days and days, and then I fucking go to Philly, and then I get back home, and you tell me what happened. I was mad as I don't know what, I'm like, you niggas had to do that shit when I was in Philly. Man, we got maced, pepper sprayed, and <laughs> man, that, that was one of the biggest brawls. That shit was like your brawl in front of the school, probably, man, but. Man, I, well, was what I was pissed. I was like, why y'all had to do that shit now? You knew I was going to Philly. You knew I was in Philly. Man, I was so pissed, yo. Man, that, that shit was fun, man, but, um. Well, where I was going with it, though, is after me and him got really, really tight. Right. That is when I could literally go anywhere, not only in the city, but there there were places outside of the city that we really didn't venture to very often. I could go anywhere and I would have random people just coming up to me and they were older heads and they were just dapping me up like, yo, what's up, man? What's up, little man? Yo, you O's man, right? Yeah. And that shit at first, it kind of threw me for a loop. Because when you see strangers that you don't know walking up on you and these weren't, you know, uh, upstanding citizens, you, you're you automatically go into, you know, the whole fight or flight. Like, I right, here we go. Here we go. And I just got so used to random people that I never saw before that I never knew. I didn't even know their names coming up to me, dapping me up like, yo, what's up, man? Look, if you ever in this area and you got any problems, yo, just holler at me. OK, whoever that shit you happened are. happened to me, too. Fucking with that. Same shit happened to me. Like. Because I hung with y'all, people that I didn't know or people that I knew but didn't know a lot about. Like, you remember Craig and all them? Getting tight yeah. with them opened up a whole new group of people. And then I was I was laughing when I found out a lot of the people that y'all knew was people that I had known since I was in, like, second grade. Like Rambo and Rocky and all them dudes. Like, man, I grew up with them. Yeah. When, I moved, when I moved to the other side of town, those was the people I hung with. And that's why I was laughing. Yeah. Like, damn, man, like, y'all niggas know Rocky? How y'all know Rocky? How y'all know Rambo? He was an old head, Rambo was. But it's, it was just funny how you start to, that's when you finally start to realize how small the world is yeah, and, that, and even how smaller our city was. Yeah, yeah, man. That, that shit used to be, I remember one time when we were about to get in a fight in uh, Woodbridge, we were about to get jumped. And next thing you know, a car rolls up. This is no lie, y'all. <laughs> we were about to get jumped in, a, in an apartment complex in Woodbridge. It was me and one of my other boys. And we didn't call anybody. We didn't tell anybody anything. It was just like a, a one of those encounters that just happened. 
A car rolls up, screeches the tires. Two dudes jump out with baseball bats. And I'm like, yo, we really about to get fucked up out here. So I'm looking at my mans. I'm like, hey, I think we probably need to run. And of course, my my boy thought he was Tupac or something. Now I don't run from nobody. These niggas got bats. So, so the dudes with bats, I'm like, fuck, I can't run and leave him. Cause yo, I'm all about self-preservation. So the dudes with the bats ran up. And they ran past us and started swinging the bats at the other niggas. I'm like, damn, hey, you know them? Nah. Who the fuck is them? Yo, I, and I still, to this day, I know the dude's face. I do not know his name. So he came back. He was like, hey, you O's man, right? Was it that God dark skin dude? Yeah, dark skin bald head dude. Kind of big. Yo, you know, what's, you know what's crazy? Let me tell you a story about him. For some reason, we would talk on the phone. I don't know why. And I remember one time he hit me up and said, hey, dog, I'm at Springfield. You trying to come? I was like, all right. He's like, yeah, some niggas up here I think might be trying to start something. It was just me and him for like four hours at Springfield Mall. I never knew his name. I don't even know how we would communicate on the phone. I don't know his name, but I remember like I used to, when you was gone for a while and O was gone, everybody was gone. It, for some reason, I started hanging out with him and I do not know his name. Man, I don't know his name either, young. That, that nigga was a ghost, but he always rolled up at like opportune times. It's like it's almost like seeing yep. a fucking ghost, man. Cause at the bus stop, yo. you be at the bus stop and he'll pop up. <laughs> like, nigga, don't you got a car? Yeah. Why are you at the bus stop? <laughs> no, what like, I mean is man. we'll be at the bus stop and then he'll ride by. Or he'll oh. just start walking up. Like, damn, where the fuck you come from? Yeah, yeah, man. That dude, I, I still don't know his name, but shit, whoever the fuck you are, man, thanks. Cause we was about to get jumped out there and all it took was a uh, old, like, uh, what was them joints? The old police cars? The cut. Not Capri's. Um, Crown Vic. Yeah, Crown Vic. Yeah, old Crown Vic and two niggas with baseball bats who we never saw before. And so Bama came back and said, yeah, you old man. All right, man. Yeah, I got you, man. You know, I saw it from, uh, from across the way that them niggas was uh, trying to jump y'all, man. You know, just be careful out here. Just jumped in his car and left. And I was like, damn, <laughs> that was odd. Like, no one even summoned you. What the fuck is you, Batman, nigga? <laughs> I'm about to say that nigga is Batman, yo. Nah, <laughs> no one summoned I'm, you. <laughs> I got a Batman. I got a Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and if this bat don't work, <laughs> I got the. Gat, I was gonna man. go, but I just I was gonna go on and on, but I I just stopped. Yeah. Remember we used to go on and on with that shit. Yeah, man. That uh, but yeah, yo. So again, you know that that's a testament to him, and he also. He was well connected, but also helped me out uh, as far as getting a job. So I've always had a job for the most part since even even before then, because we worked at Domino's when we was like, what, 13 years old? He was passing out flyers. I still got that name tag somewhere that say P. Diddy on it. (laughs) Damn, (laughs) man. we, We always had a job, but he made me realize the importance of not hanging in the streets so much. And getting drunk and, you know, getting high and doing all kinds of dumb shit, man. So, but moving on, right? So, P's brother, he he actually, you know, he hit me to a lot of shit, too. And the my favorite thing that stuck with me is, nah, man, you don't hold the blunt like that. You hold it with the cherry up because fire <laughs> burns up. And fire I was up. <laughs> I was high as shit and I, I wasn't a huge smoker, but you know, when the older head says, Hey, you want to come smoke with me? You go smoke with him. I was high as was shit. Was that the night we was... watched the Mike Tyson both a fight? Nah, nah. Th- this was the night when we was playing the instruments and I had my girl with me at, uh, oh. at your parents' house. 
And next we thing you know, we was causing a ruckus. My parents is in New Orleans, man. We was playing fucking gun- drums and congos at two in the morning. <laughs> yeah, man. And then this nigga explained fire to me and how to make a blunt burn. And I was just intrigued. He's like, if you hold it upwards, it don't burn fast. But if you hold it down, the fire burns up and it burns up your weed. Then I got so goddamn high, I couldn't drive my girl home. So I had to get you to drive. And I was laid out in the back seat. Laid out on the floor. <laughs> and she oh, kept yeah, talking to Oh, yeah, that's right. In the back seat. Yeah. Yeah, man. She was like, uh, so, uh, P, uh, uh, hey, how's the weather? I was like, man, shut the fuck up. Like, I was high I'm always shit, polite, man. yo. Like, I was always polite. And it was like, Dan would put me in uncomfortable, awkward situations, <laughs> right? So it's like, she was talking to me, and I'm trying to be nice. And like, yeah, yeah. He was like, shut the fuck up. He don't want to talk to you. So I just kind of looked at her with a, like that, that like, I don't speak English smile. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say. Like, should I tell her, yeah, he right, I don't want to talk to you? Or should I tell Dan, man, she all right, man. Or like how... <laughs> how you would do like random strange things in the grand prix like that time you you, you turn the key off <laughs> yeah, like, i don't know yeah. what to say i'm sitting back here but what do i do do i laugh or not laugh well it's just man that was my favorite thing i still do that today too i put people in awkward positions just to see how they react to them but um so yeah man your your brother he like he worked in the um he worked for the school board and man we would just go up and see him every now and then and he would kick game to us and Tell us like certain shit. And and then I got my cousin uh Marcus who, you know, he was slated to hey, be he saved my life. I ain't gonna say yeah. how, but you know how. Well, you might as well, man. I mean shit. No. That, that shit. <laughs> All right. He he talked me out of killing somebody. And that conversation he had with me really framed my adult perspective on life. He said, All right, if you do this, ain't no turning back. And I thought about it. I said, you know what? And I went in the fire department then. Even though I'd lost a lot of family members, I was really mean back in the day. I didn't care. I was I was I was a fucked up mean person. And I was like, I don't give a fuck. Kill that motherfucker. Yeah, nigga, you still hey. are. <laughs> I mean, I am, but I'm not violent. Well, I'm patient now. I'll say that. And um I said, you know what? He right. I can't take that shit back. I looked at it like a tattoo, right? I'm 18. I may want a tattoo right now. When I'm 35, that tattoo may not sit very well with me. So I look at it like this, like, okay, I, I'm going to kill this motherfucker. I'm 20. I'm going to kill this motherfucker now. And I wasn't in the fire department yet. And then I'm like, well, what if in 20 years or 15 years, I look back on that and that shit eats me up. And yeah. I'm telling you, he saved my life, man. Because I, I don't know how I would have coped with that today. And it's funny the way he did it. Because I just sat there quietly the whole time. Because Pete came, came, he hollered at me. He was like, hey, man, I need a joint, man. I need a joint that to handle some business. So I said, okay. We can go holler at my cousin because he got connections. So we go over there and my cousin was like, uh, P, you sure you want this? P was like, hell yeah, I want this, man. I need to I need to handle some shit, man. Are you sure? Because y'all, I'll get it for you. No problem, man. Just don't mention my name. Don't bring me up in this shit. But let me ask you. And then, you know, he gave you the whole spill. And what's funny is he was encouraging you to do it by. Well, he was encouraging you not to do it by encouraging you to do it like, OK, but just remember that, you know, this is it. Can't take it back after you do it. And whatever whatever happens afterwards, man, you got to deal with the shit, man. So anyway, we we left there, like, both, you know, gained some insight, man. And, yeah, like, these kids, again, going back to these kids today, they don't have that, man, because they don't respect the people that came before them. They don't respect even, like, these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. 
they don't respect the 25, 26, 27 year olds, man. You know what I'm saying? It's like nope. the lack of respect equals a lack of knowledge because you you have to learn on your own now. You cannot learn from other people's mistakes and other people's experiences if you are not respecting these people and listening to these people. So, yeah, go ahead and fuck up. You're going to fuck your whole life up. My brother, you know, he his mentor in life pretty much was our uncle. He passed away um in the early 90s, but um, you know, he was a legend. I mean, if you say his name today, people know who he is. But um he got sick early in the in the 90s and passed away, but he would give my brother a lot of insight. Um my brother told me a story once. Uh if you knew anything about TC Williams in the 80s, they had a one of the best football teams in the country and they had a big time uh player who was also a kingpin, well a, a major drug dealer. And my brother would talk he told me a story how he talked to my uncle once at at one of the football games before my brother got to TC, he was playing for GW when GW had a team and they didn't lose a game in the 80s except for once. Um he told my brother he wanted to be like this particular guy. I mean, I'm sorry, my brother told my uncle he wanted to be like this particular football player. And my uncle said, you don't want to be like him. And my brother didn't know what he meant. He said, you be like you. Essentially, you be like you. Don't worry about trying to be like somebody else. And um, it ended up paying off because that dude ended up going to jail for a long time. And I'm not saying, you know, he's a he's a good dude. I met him a few times. But, um, you know, my brother ended up playing for TC and making his own name. So, um, you know, I mean, a lot of the lessons my brother passed down to me and my cousin passed down to me, I'm pretty sure a lot of them came from my uncle. Yeah, man. And, and and again, that that's how shit used to be structured, man. Like the older people would pass down lessons to the younger people. And it wasn't in a preachy kind of way. And it wasn't in a um demeaning or belittling kind of way. It's more like, yo, I'm going to drop this knowledge on you. And, you know, whatever you choose to do with it, that's on you. So that in in, in my life, again, that that brings me, I guess, my last male influence that also helped me develop and become a man is shout to my cousin Craig. And some of you may know him, but he, um, I moved up when I was homeless and had nowhere to go. I moved up to Pennsylvania and ended up hanging out with Craig a lot. And I used to always be scared of him cause he a big ass nigga and he used to always look mean. So I'm like, man, fuck that nigga mean as shit. But he, he's taught me a lot of stuff actually. And I was more open at 19, 20 years old to to learning from his experiences. And some of the things I even talked about this on another show. One of the things that I still do to this day is always treat. I go out of my way to find the people wherever I'm at, like the janitors, like if I'm at a hotel, the house cleaning, the bellhops. I go out of my way to talk to them, speak to them and treat them like they're people because they're for for lack of a better term they're they're at the bottom of the totem pole and they're used they're used to getting shit on by people because oh you're just a a, a lowly janitor you're just a lowly bag boy or whatever yo you know what i'd say i, I i'd say i wouldn't say bottom of the totem pole per se because a lot of those people get paid fairly decent and have a lot of good lessons like when i worked at the hotel mr will I would say they a lot of the time people perceive them at the bottom of the social totem pole where they look yeah. at them and think you just a janitor or you just a, do- a doorman or you just a a, a a building engineer, maintenance man. You're, you're not right. important, basically. Yeah. yeah. So they essentially that, think you're not important. That's what I got from Craig. That's one of the things that I still carry to this day is 
I go out of my way and just for some context, I'm an IT professional. I deal with all kinds of IT people, um, high level professionals, uh, CEOs, things of that nature. But before I go like, you know, hey, hey, how's it going, Bob? How's it going? Nah, if I walk past a janitor, yo, what's up, man? You all right? You doing good? I don't even know you, but I'm going to stop and speak to you and recognize you and acknowledge you because people appreciate shit like that, man, because these people work hard and they actually probably work harder than the fucking CEOs, CFOs, CIOs and all these people. So I go out of my way, man. So that that's just the one thing Craig taught me. Well, he said to me and it just resonated. And I still carry that shit today, man. Treat everybody. Treat. Well, go out of go out of your way to treat everybody equally. And in fact, show people that are looked down upon a little extra love because they appreciate that shit. And yeah, the thing with me is like I had those jobs. My brother had those jobs. My granddad had those jobs, you know, so we came up in our family with people that had those jobs. So to us, it was never nothing like to us, like those was the the real people that worked them jobs. So, you know, I ended up working school board like a lot of other folks uh making a shop like my uncle and them did before he got in the fire department too um you know i mean we we worked those same jobs so it was all and i was a doorman um at the hotel uptown i mean downtown dc i say i'm saying uptown now because i'm in charlotte right but um so it was never a thing where i, I always you know my whole life essentially I always was friends with the janitor friends with you know because i you know i knew these people and then when even when i was in maury and i was in polk we knew the janitors because they were family friends, you know, so we just always knew who they were, especially, you know, we when I was born, we lived in the projects and then we moved to the south side and west side. So we lived amongst the same people that was at our school. So, I mean, we was related to them, too. And it, yeah. I ended up being one. So, I mean, man. it wasn't never a thing. So what Dan is saying is like, yeah, man, in case people don't know, like you got to show people respect. And a lot of times people assume I'm going to use. OK, I said we said we weren't going to talk about this dumb virus. But for example. Nobody ever spoke nicely to the janitor, to the nurse. Hey, I was a firefighter EMT. People hated us. Nobody ever spoke nicely to us. Uh, nobody spoke nicely to the cashiers at the grocery stores. But now suddenly everybody says they're great. And without them, we wouldn't have anything. Yeah, it's McDonald's like, wow. employees. Yeah. yeah. Like, wow. A few, few, you know, a few months ago, you motherfuckers was being disrespectful, rude and nasty to service industry and public safety. And now suddenly they're so great. And watch when this thing goes away. Everybody's going to forget and start treating people in the service industry, public safety industry like shit again. Mark my man, words. Bu- man, that brings up a good point, man, because um, prior to the whole pandemic thing there, there's been a push for years for people to raise not not only the minimum wage, but the service workers to I, I think the number was fifteen dollars an hour. And you have so many people out here screaming there's no way a McDonald's employee should uh, make $15 an hour. A, a grocery store cashier should make 15. They're unskilled labor. But right now, if all of these motherfuckers were to go collect unemployment, because let's be honest with this extra $600, they can probably make more collecting unemployment than they were making at their jobs. It's like, yo, so if all these people weren't there, what would you do now? Man, we, we need more. Uh, the grocery stores need to be open. Well, you know what I'm saying? McDonald's needs to be open. So, I mean, like, you just, you just... truck drivers, too. It's like if truck driver, I saw someone that said if truck drivers stopped driving, all our grocery stores are run out of supplies in three days. And, you yeah. know, it's just funny because the same people that say these people are unskilled. I'm like, 
they the same people that got their job because they know somebody and learn their shit on the job. You know, Man, people just always forget where they come from and, and don't acknowledge. This This the whole point of the show. We acknowledging people that helped us, right? A lot of yeah, people don't exactly. do that. A lot, you know, people don't do that. So they look down on other people who may not have had necessarily people looking out for them or may have made a mistake in high school or early adult life. So they have to work two jobs in the service industry. And if anybody wants to say that these people don't work or they say you need to work harder, goddamn, how much shit. harder do you think somebody's supposed to work? Yeah, Those exactly. jobs ain't no joke. It's like back in the day, right? Dan, you know, was a manager and had his own franchise. Well, was a, a, a of <laughs> Damn, his own I store, right? Whole franchise, <laughs> yeah, whole franchise was that had his own store. And I remember how this went, right? It's like, okay, you get paid a lot of money, but the reason you get paid a lot of money is because you're working from open to close. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, Man. well, damn, am I really making that much money, or I just yeah. working a whole fucking lot of hours? Then and, and that's essentially what it was, man, working a whole lot. And that's why I stopped being a manager, because I'm like, man, fuck this. I ain't working all these damn hours, man. Shit, I can't even enjoy the fucking money I'm making because I'm always fucking that work. But, yo, so um, what I want to do, I want to ask you something. But uh, in, to kind of close, uh, what I want to do is send a shout out. I'm sure they don't listen, but. In the event that they do, you know, I want to shout out my boy. O. I want to shout out uh, my cousin Marcus and my cousin Craig, because those are some of the most instrumental male figures in my life. And, you know, I've had other other family members and, you know, grand grandmother, grandfather, things like that. But these three stick out the most as far as helping mold me, especially when I, I had a pretty troubled childhood, well, troubled teenage years and going through a lot of issues with the law and breaking it. So, you know, these three brothers, they really looked out for me and I, and I actually, I appreciate them. And I also appreciate the knowledge that they gave me. I can also say that, um, well, actually I'm gonna let P speak for himself, but well, what I'm gonna say is this P at our age now, right? It's, it's no secret that we've both been very helpful and very vocal to try to help the younger generation, whether it be younger family members or friends of the family, their children or what have you. Do do you ever get any appreciation from them whatsoever when you try to help them? Hell no. Motherfuckers don't <laughs> listen to shit and treat me like shit. I'm like, oh, you know what? Here's the thing, though. I don't take it personal. because I say, OK, well, you know, I didn't listen all the time. But, I mean, I showed respect, though. But ultimately, I, I learned how to disassociate my feelings from that. I just be like, oh, well, you'll listen or you'll figure it out one day. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, ultimately, I get a lot of um, I learned that people in their heart, they know what's r- real, what's really going on and what's not. They may not acknowledge it. They may not show it. They may not seem like they're listening. They may pretend like they don't care. But ultimately, people know, for example, so you do somebody does something to you. They pretend like they didn't do nothing in their heart and their head. They know what really happened. And so I get yeah. a lot of my solace in knowing, you know, you can treat me like shit all you want. You know how I really is. You know what I really taught you. And that's how I get by on a lot of things. Because I do remember there are times when I didn't feel like listening. And I'm going to give a shout out to some people too in a minute. When I didn't feel like listening necessarily, or I didn't know I was listening. But when something happened, I instantly fell back on something that was told to me. And I'm like, damn, I didn't even realize I was listening. So, you know, I mean, I, I brought up a little while ago, my father, obviously. My grandfather, obviously. You know, my big brother, my older cousin. um. You know, then I got my uncles and I got the guys in the fire department, man, who, you know, Steve, who's pretty much like my uncle. He's actually my cousin's uncle. Uh, You know, 
Cliff, uh, you know, Bob, and it's, you know, I love Bob to death. He really was instrumental in helping keep me sane after I lost my career because he was the first one to call and check on me and the only one that stayed in contact with me the entire time. Now I got others who I've talked to since then, but Bob was always right there with me, led me through the fire academy, everything. Um, you know, Al, who's passed away, uh, sadly, a couple of years ago, you know, he taught me a lot when it come to working out bodybuilding. Um, you know, even people that was my age in the fire department, like my homie Dobbs and Mike, those dudes came to the firehouse when I was not motivated. And because they were highly motivated and, and professional and disciplined, they got me to be better. I mean, yeah. it's so many people, man. You know, my of my old captain, you know, it's so many people. I can't even name them all. But I just feel like I guess what I'm going to leave with is listen to something at any time. Oh, OK, let me start over. I tell my stepson, right, who don't like to listen when he, before he moved out. You don't like to hear when we talk up, talk to you about yourself. He says, stop nagging me. I said, what's going to be shocking to you is when you grow up, you're going to wish that people would sit down and talk to you about you. Because when you grow up, you realize don't nobody give a fuck about you and don't nobody care about telling you what you need to know for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, that's how it is, man. Like, you got to appreciate and listen when people talk to you about something. They don't have to waste their time. Take something from everybody, man. You can learn something from everybody, even people you don't like. Learn something from everybody, what they say, what they do. You know, um, one more thing. I, be, I see people online every now and then say, don't take money advice or don't take life advice from somebody that's broke or somebody that's this or that. I'm like, how stupid is that? Because ultimately, I'd rather take advice, financial advice, career advice from somebody who made a mistake than somebody who always had everything without effort or without struggle. Because those people can tell you where they fucked up, you yeah, know, exactly. or where something went wrong. So, you know, just listen to people, man. Watch, listen, learn, and, and just don't ever think everybody can learn something from anybody, you know? Yeah. And if you don't appreciate that, then you're just going to find yourself struggling a whole lot. Now that you say that, too, um, real quick, this came to mind as far as learning from other people's mistakes, right? I know somebody who was an entrepreneur, had multiple businesses. And all of their businesses failed, except for the last one, which was successful many, many years later after all of his failures. He would give me little, you know, little tidbits here and there of information. I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. So I'm like, I really don't care. But it's like P said, I didn't know I was listening, but I was listening. And, you know, he was able to pinpoint each time he fucked up, like why his business, why his first business didn't work out, why his second, why his third didn't work out. He knew exactly what went wrong. So in knowing that you can learn from people like that, same with uh, homeless people, they can all probably go back to that one defining moment that caused them to become homeless. Like, you know, whether it be a, a substance abuse problem, whether it be a financial problem, whatever. That's the type of shit that I like to hear. What made you become home? Like, how did you become homeless? What was that defining thing that happened that led you to become homeless? And, you know, a lot of people ignore people like that, man. Like you see someone homeless and you either think they're scamming or, you know, they're lazy. They don't want to get a job. They're an alcoholic. They're a drug addict. Even if they are a, dr a drug addict and alcoholic, they could probably still go back to that one defining moment and say, this is why I ended up homeless. And I, I want to know that shit because just in case I ever come across that shit, man. Well, the thing is, I learned from when I lost my career. You know, I was at the high, I was, right before I lost mine, I was at the highest that I, you know, I could got at that time. I could have gotten at that time. I was getting ready to get promoted to officer. And then I got disabled and lost it. Unforeseen circumstances, right? So people don't realize 
the fine line between success and failure. It can happen very quickly. I mean, you would think people would have learned that after the last stock market crash when people lost their jobs and went homeless. But I mean, people really don't understand in this country, especially with the capitalism and how we don't really have a lot of social safety nets. Um, you know, you, your chances at being whether you buy buying a house or being homeless, because I, I was about to buy a house before I lost everything. You know, it is very fragile and people don't really understand how truly fragile it really is. All it takes for a company to say or a government that you work for to say, we don't need you anymore. And what are you going to do about it? Yeah. And you know what, though, it you bring up the 08, uh, 09 crisis today, even during the, the whole coronavirus thing. Um, yep. I'm looking at people now who, well, they're getting furloughed. They're losing their jobs and their jobs are probably like we saw this shit before. This is I mean, it's a, it's a different thing, but we saw this shit before. People are losing their jobs, losing, losing everything, losing their livelihoods. And they a lot of the younger people are under the impression that, OK, once things normalize, my job will hire me mm. back. No. What happened in no, 2008, won't. 2009 is companies learned how to do the same, if not more, with less as far as less work. That's what's happening now. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's so, happening now. They learn, oh, shit, we still managed to do this without that. Well, why are we going to waste our money? Yeah. They, and some of them were like posting record profits uh, 2009, 2010, man. Yep. The oil the oil industry was for sure. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, man. I mean, and then you also have, I saw an article, uh, I just closed with this, just came to my mind. I saw an article today where this woman was, uh, she was in tears crying about how she bought multiple multiple houses to use as short-term rentals for like airbnb and all of her people canceled because of covid and now she can't afford to pay the mortgages on these properties and she expects people to feel sorry for her now like p said capitalism but it can go it can go both ways like okay you over leveraged yourself to try to make money you don't you didn't have a safety net so i'm sorry i don't feel sorry for you I feel more sorry for the people that work nine to fives and they're losing their homes. But like, no, you went out and bought multiple properties for short term rentals. No, I, I don't feel sorry for you. Yeah, you didn't lose your home. You lost your additional homes. <laughs> multiple. The big so, difference there. Yeah, exactly, man. So, you know, I, I guess that's that's all I had to say. I, I just wanted to I was thinking about it this morning on a on a toilet there. You know, I was sitting on the toilet and I said, damn, you man, was sitting on the toilet playing Candy Crush. <laughs> nah, I yeah. um <laughs> he's about to make were you about to make a homosexual reference nah i'm about to make a doo-doo joke but i was like ah, fuck it. <laughs> it's too early to get back into shit jokes <laughs> yeah man so no but this morning i was thinking about it every and i'm sure this happens to p2 you just sitting there with time on your hands and you're thinking about things that happened in the past and i'm like Yo, I, I, I've yeah. never officially told these brothers who, you know, how, how instrumental they were in in me becoming a man. Because I, unlike, you know, P and unlike a lot of people, I didn't really have a uh, father or and my grandfather, much like P, passed away when I was younger. So, you know, just wanted to shout those brothers out, man. And I actually, at some point, I'm probably, hopefully, I'll give them a call and just, you know, let them know I appreciate them. You forgot to thank Dr. Malachi York. Yeah, for so we didn't join a cult. <laughs> yeah, and some with some cardboard pyramids. 
hey, yeah, and then get touched on. <laughs> hey, <laughs> hey, come here, boy. Let me, man, I'm about to do the Mr. T. Eddie Murphy joke. Come here, boy. You look mighty cute in them jeans. <laughs> man, so you got anything else, P? Nah, man, that's about it. Yo, I really think I said it all. I went on a couple of little rambling, uh, I'm not going to call them tirades. Went on a couple of little rants here and there, but I think I didn't, I think I pretty much said it all, man. I just, uh, yeah. good to be back. It's been a long time. I know people probably thought that, uh, I don't know. We broke up like a new edition or some shit. And it's like, nah, man, people be having stuff going on. You know, I mean, shows go off season. Podcasts go off season. We got a lot of things going on. We spoke before. Uh, We kind of took a hiatus that we probably would be anyway because, you know, Dan gets real busy this time of year. Um, You know, I was speaking about seasonal issues that I tend to have. And then we all know I got a shitload of kids. And then this virus started to hit. And frankly, I've been self-quarantining since the end of February. So it's just Man. a lot of lot of things been going on, but you know we ain't gone nowhere, nigga. You've been self quarantining since like two thousand three, man. Hey man, I ain't got no. Well, no, nah, I was in the fire department then. I couldn't self quarantine back then. <laughs> just go lock yourself in the bathroom in the firehouse. I'm not coming out, guys. <laughs> <laughs> this has been another episode of a few screws lose the podcast and the award winning podcast. So don't forget check us out on social media at screws lose pod on. Twitter, IG, as well as YouTube. And my name is Dan. I'm one of your hosts. You can keep up with me at I am Dan on Drugs on Twitter and Instagram. And again, uh, Black Law Podcast or Black Law and Legalize is another podcast I do. So if you want to hear more of me, check me out. And also want to shout out the Breaks Media Network too uh, at the Breaks Media Network. And I am P from Charlotte. You find me on Instagram and on Twitter at P from Charlotte, all one word. And if you want to hear more of me, go back and listen to the old episodes of A Few Screws Loose podcast. <laughs> that's Peace all you're going to hear from me. <laughs>